Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Family Secrets is a production of iHeartRadio. Family Secrets listeners, it's Danny. We're hard at work on a fourth season of Family Secrets, which will return in October. In the meantime, I hope you're checking out my new daily podcast, The Way We Live Now. We're all pretty burnt out on the news, and The Way We Live Now is my attempt to bring us all together in a way that feels comforting and helpful. But now, a whole other thing. I'm excited to share with you another of the Family Secrets conversations that I recorded live this past winter. This one with rock legend Liz Fair. Liz and I appeared together at the Fine Arts Theater in Los Angeles to talk about creativity, self-expression, the burning need to tell the truth of what happened, and, of course, secrets. I hope you love our conversation as much as I did. Hey, everyone. It is so great to be here in L.A. Um, at Writer's Block with Liz Fair. It's really one of those moments of sort of like, wait, what happened? 1-800-CALL-A-ROCKSTAR. <laughs> 1-800-ROCKSTAR. <laughs> so Liz and I have a lot of really interesting intersections that I had no idea that we had until I read Horror Stories. It's a book that I think is, among many other things, about identity. And it plays with time because you think about time. And it strikes me, even though I only really know you through your work and a brief conversation and backstage, it feels like you um, have a similar preoccupation or obsession with, with time as, as I do. And so I, I guess I'm wondering if we could begin with what makes a rock star want to write a memoir? Because this is not, this isn't like a memoir like 
hire a ghostwriter and write a memoir or, you know, you had other things to do. And it's a beautifully written, really soulful, really powerful book that I would urge you all to read. I, I loved it. And it feels like it was a long time in the pressure building to write it. That's what it felt like to me. That's interesting. Um, thank you. Those are very big compliments. Thank you. Um, the memories that I chose to share surprised a lot of people because it isn't about trashing a hotel room or meeting famous people or you know, puking backstage. It's, it's about... There's a little of that. Is there? <laughs> no, somebody, somebody else puking. But anyway, go okay. I was actually... I don't want to use the word inspired. I was catapulted into action by what was happening in our political climate. Um, and that may seem not intuitive to make that leap, but I found myself, as I was watching what was happening to our country, ever more drawn to what fundamentally mattered to me in life, what my baseline for decency, goodness, honesty, it pulled me into a place of having to plant a flag for what I believed in and maybe fight in the only way I could to, uh, well, I was, as I was telling you backstage, I also found myself judging a lot. I, I was not a judgy person until this happened, and I found myself outraged and horrified by what I was seeing. And that both, you know when something just crystallizes and you just truly feel like, it's important to say what you think life is about and what matters and what our baseline for how we should behave is. But at the same time, what happened was then I turned that back on myself and I thought, how would you be judged? You know, what, what would people say if they were judging you? So a lot of my book is about personal stories that you didn't ask for and you don't need to know, but that would be sort of what if I were gonna leave the planet, I would wanna leave behind about everything that I had learned and experienced in life and what I would wanna say that mattered. As you're speaking, I'm thinking about, um, there's a course that I teach once a year on the East Coast, and, and the, the, the title of it is The Stories We Carry. Mm -hmm. And these feel like the stories that you were carrying which is, I guess, why I said that it feels like, in a way, it was a long time uh, building up, even yes. though it wasn't something that you were necessarily ever thinking about turning into a book. It began, you know, early in the book, you write uh, that you were carrying around toxic shards of souls I've casually shattered. And I found that so hauntingly beautiful because we all do that, whether or not we're actually conscious that we're doing that or not. We carry around these shards. They live inside of us. Anyone here, I can say this because I'm in LA, anyone here with a yoga practice, um, <laughs> right? <laughs> knows that, you know, when you um, sort of enter the sphere of, you know, the body in a certain way, those stories, those shards, those toxic shards, those people, um, they exist. You know, they, they, they never really go away. Uh, and you brought them forth uh, in this book and um, named them. Um, there's, um, you know, early in the book, there's a girl in the bathroom that when you were in college, you and your friends just, I mean, she was, this girl was in terrible shape and you and... She'd been drinking. She'd and been she drinking. Was, and, she had been drinking and she was too. Passed, and she was, she was passed, passed out and, yeah. In trouble. And it's like these, these, quote unquote, tight, like small moments, walking out of a bathroom and not doing anything to help, like just not knowing what to do. And then staying, you know, with the, the hauntedness and the shame and the feeling of like, should have done something and what happened to that girl, like that, that girl then lives inside of you because of what you did or didn't do. You know, and, and she then, judges me. I mean, that was a circumstance in which there was a lot of people ignoring her and that pressure that you feel to go along with whatever's happening. I was a freshman in college and I was so nervous everywhere I went that 
I had learned to put up a front of not looking nervous and looking like I knew what I was doing. So it was, I had numbed myself out. And yet this one casual encounter stayed with me my whole life and changed how involved I become when I see that something needs to be done. So it also becomes a lesson, right? Like, you know, sort of metabolizing that. So there's a very moving passage about this elderly dog that it was a neighbor of yours who... Um, uh, it, was, it was a neighbor of the woman who cut my hair way up on Mulholland Drive. And she said, oh, if you're thinking of adopting a dog, there's one that this famous comedian doesn't want anymore. And the dog was just alone, like was left alone with basically just someone coming in to feed it, right? I mean, I can't speak to exactly what was going on, but yeah, it was for all intents and purposes abandoned, a sweet Newfoundland that I looked at and my house couldn't accommodate it. There were too many stairs. It was too old. But like I went like three times and just talked to it on the balcony, which sounds really sweet, but like the real crux came when like a year later... And then I had asked everyone, like, where can Newfoundlands go? Does anyone want this? And I had given it a fair shot and then gone on tour and gone on with my life. And later on, someone had said, oh, I heard about some farm for Newfies or something that could help the dog. And again, I failed myself and I didn't follow up with that. And again, when you said time, they're so present to me. All the things that have happened to me are still so present, and it's how I write songs. It's all the unsaid, undone, unforgiven things that just became part of me. So time really didn't pass. If anything, these past memories grew in importance the longer time went on. I feel like with your book, too, that sense that when the truth came out, it flattened time. Time just, everything that you'd experienced became one present moment. Well, it's so interesting, and I wonder whether it's like this in songwriting. I know it's like this in prose writing, in writing, in writing um, memoir, and, and also in writing literary fiction. Um, literature is, I think, really the only form that can play with time with the greatest effectiveness. Um, I even feel film, I, n I never feel when I'm watching film and that's being done, I'm always aware that it's being done. Whereas in, um, in, when we read, we can feel the way that memory moves, we can, um, you know, th that flattening that you're describing or the collapsing, the collapsing of the present and the past. I mean, when I, made the discovery uh, four years ago, um, it's almost four years ago now, that my dad hadn't been my biological father, something I had never known. Actually, I should say, I had never thought. Um, I think there's a phrase in inheritance, which is the unthought known, um, a, a phrase that I come back to again and again and again, because um, it's a psychoanalytic phrase um, that, that means what we absolutely do know, what we know in our bones, what we feel, um, you know, deep. When we, when we think about what a gut instinct is, it's that kind of knowledge. But it's too dangerous to think, so we just don't go there. Um, I think I was living in that state actually my whole entire life. But then to be in midlife and to make this discovery, I had to re-remember, rethink re-understand everything about what had come before. May I share what you said up in the dressing room? Mm. Was it Andrea who asked you or said, what, what's your next project? And you said, I'm not sure because I feel like I've been digging for this story my whole life. And think of how much you've done sort of looking for that, what was it, unthought known? The unthought known. But I think, you know, one of the intersections between us and a really interesting question for us to explore is what makes an artist an artist, right? Like there's a moment in your book where a friend of yours, um, so you're adopted, right? A friend of yours says to you, do you think if you hadn't been adopted, um, you would have been an artist? And 
I mean, it's an impossible question to answer. It's like saying, if I were a different, you know, person, really, if I, I mean, you, you change one thing and everything changes, or you change, um, but, but there's something about your being an observer, which was something that I was very aware of reading you, that from the time you were small, uh, you were always observing. And in order to observe, I mean, one of the things I've often thought about is writers are outsiders. Um, I don't think you can be an insider and write about anything from the inside if you're, the, if, if you're an insider because you don't, have, you don't have any perspective on it. You don't have that anthropological view. And so you, you were always seeing the world from that place of this slight remove, this slight distance. And, you know, it's impossible to know exactly what created that or what caused that, but what, what would you say to your friend in, in, in that regard? Or is, is anything about that? It makes perfect sense. I think that a lot of the freedom that I feel as an artist to do what my mother would consider very outrageous and completely inappropriate things is because there's, there's, I have one foot out the door, always. I have one foot in another state that could be anything. I could, I could have come from any kind of people. And so that gives me a freedom to both search for who I am, sort of like a, I guess, permission to search for who I am, but also gives me that, like you said, that remove from being internal. Like I was definitely raised by a tight-knit family, but there was one foot that was still outside of that, looking back on it and looking back on my place in it. And there's that insecurity, which I think you went through so vividly, and it was just beautiful, your description of that, like, who am I now? And that feeling like the floor has just dropped out from under you. And I just had that in a slow, low-grade way the whole time. Like, I was always here, and I was committed, and I belonged to my family, but not totally. And I think that is the artist side of me that, that did stand outside myself, did look for the... I love it. I'm sorry. The unknown thought or the unthought yeah, known. known. There's the unthought also, known is what I'm always searching for myself. There's also this great, this, this great term that I came across when I was just madly researching and trying to understand, you know, whatever I possibly could about this new knowledge. And it was a term from adoption literature, and it's genealogical bewilderment. <laughs> And I, I mean, it's, 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 it's so poetic and beautiful and powerful. And I mean, w one of the things that's come up a lot for me in the years since Inheritance came out is right around the time that it came out or even before, I would have mostly adoptive parents come up to me who hadn't read the book yet or maybe if they had were reading it through a certain lens and what they thought that I was saying or what they thought I was going to say, was that nature matters exclusively. And I remember the first time I had this conversation, it was with a, a, a writer standing by a pool at a writer's conference, the kind of pool where somebody always falls in every year at this writer's conference in Austin, Texas. And he, funny. he's gay and he's a dad and he and his husband have... Uh, three adopted kids, and he was kind of a little bit confrontational on the subject of nurture and, and nature. And I said to him, do your kids know they're adopted? And he said, of course. And it, I said, have they always known? Said, yes, of course they've always known, uh, you know, ever since they, you know, were, were, were sentient beings. I said, so, okay. So their identities are formed around something that is true about themselves. What's true about themselves is that they know that they're adopted, they know that um, there is a reason for that genealogical bewilderment as they grow up. Maybe not looking you know, like their family because there isn't a biological connection or feeling a little bit other or different because there is otherness and difference and genealogical bewilderment. The, the sense of it's a wide open world, this question of 
where I come from biologically. And the difference, and this took me a while and some deep thinking to do, but the difference, I mean, if our identities are formed by the stories that were told from the time we're very small, then that story, the adoption story, is you're adopted. And that's really, it's complicated, but it's a different story from being, from the truth of identity being withheld. Yes. So what happened with me is that my parents, for reasons that made a lot of sense in the place and time that they raised me, uh, were never going to tell me. I was never going to know this. They were going to go to the grave with this, which they both did, and I was never going to know, and no one would ever be the wiser, and what we don't know doesn't hurt us, right? Yeah. So my sense of identity as a child um, was based on something that was false, and so the, the image I have for it is almost like something being wrapped around, um, like a husk being wrapped around something that isn't solid on the inside because there was something that wasn't true. And I think, you know, I mean, I started this podcast, Family Secrets, because there is so much secrecy, you know, in our society, in our culture, in so many different ways, and we're in this moment now, and you're a part of that, where it's coming out. And whether it's the Me Too movement, or it's the fact that DNA testing has made all of these kinds of secrets absolutely impossible to keep anymore. This is what's happening. We'll be back in a moment with more Family Secrets. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. 
You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I think fighting the shame of being human is something that I've crusaded on for a while. The, you know, there's so much in our society that is stuck around this idea of let's, let's not say it. I know that my parents didn't always tell me what was going on and that, that always caused me a lot of cognitive dissonance. And the shame is so much more destructive than the truth a lot of times because like you said, you're wrapping a husk or you're building scar tissue around a vacuum. So there's no way to resolve it. It's never going to heal. Yeah, I mean, just because it isn't spoken doesn't mean it doesn't exist. In fact, it's not being spoken creates a kind of, I mean, I think of my parents and myself now, and I'll never be able to have these conversations with them, but the air in our house was thick with this. Um, and as a writer, I mean, I, Inheritance is my 10th book. All of my, my novels were about family secrets. Um, they were about the corrosive power of family secrets in one way or another. Um, if you had asked me to explain why this was my theme, uh, you know, I, I had this kind of pithy thing that I, I, that I have to say about theme, which is that it's just a fancy literary term for obsession. And we, don't, and we don't choose what obsesses us. And, you know, writers don't like to look under the hood too much about what's really going on. It's like, you know, that's where the magic happens. You don't want to mess with that. So I just kind of bopped along with family secrets being my theme. And then I started writing memoirs. And I was a novelist. Why was I writing memoirs? And that's where I think the digging, you know, that I was talking to Andrea upstairs, I think that's where it began was just this sense of there's something, there's something. there And... Well, you that, were receiving feedback that there was an otherness about you. You right. were receiving feedback all the way along the line that, that hinted, right. I felt. Maybe it's the way you wrote it, but it felt like... No, I was, I was absolutely constantly receiving... I mean, the feedback was, you don't look Jewish. There's no way you're Jewish. You know, you know is, is, is Shapiro your husband's name? Uh, you know, just... Uh, but constantly. I mean, really, like, every day. Um, and yet, that's feedback. But if you're kind of entrenched in a desire to, in a need to not know, you can ignore that feedback yes. and contort yourself around not knowing. I mean, you know what would happen to me when somebody would say to me, as they did every day, every day, you know, you don't look Jewish? I would say, raised kosher, you know, observant family, went to yeshiva, spoke fluent Hebrew, two sinks, two dishwashers, you know, I would like recite my, you know, my, my, my Jewish cred, yeah, like sort of basically getting in people's faces about it, like, what's, what's your problem? Like, this is what Jewish looks like. Why can't Jewish you go like there? That? Yeah. I mean, really a little bit like, I mean, it, it would, it would, it would, I found it, like, I, it offended me, um, but it was true. <laughs> and what people were saying when they were looking at me and saying that was something that they saw because they had no skin in the game. And so that's, that's feedback. I wonder, and I don't remember if you touched on this in your book, what your mother was processing when these comments were happening. So let's go back to Is that the, too? Is that too? No, not at all. No, but let's go back to the unthought known. Because I think that there is a way in which when we are told that something really is a secret and can never be revealed, like airtight, which I think my parents, you know, back in the um, early days of reproductive medicine, there was a lot of euphemism. There, were, there was sort of outright deceit in a way. So I believe that by the time my parents were um, bringing home a baby, uh, they had my mother more than my father, had pretty much decided that it had never happened. You're going to build that house right on the, the foot of the denial. That's right. That's right. And that becomes a kind of, um, 
it's like a kernel of something that's true that's somewhere lodged way deep, 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 deep in the psyche, but is not going to, um, it's not going to emerge with a kind of clarity. It's going to leak all over everything. Um, and that's how I, I think of it is like there was this like toxic leakage that was always there. Which is um, interesting because my mother, I always got the sense that over and over again, if you ever want to find your biological parents, you know, her brother was a lawyer or attorney, so she said, you know, we'll go through Mark. But there was, I, I could tell that that was not something she really wanted, per se, to happen. There was this sense, because ultimately we are our parents' children. It doesn't matter where we come from. I mean, I, when I was little, I used to imagine the way I, I processed being adopted was... I would make up stories like I thought, we lived in Cincinnati when I was very young, and then we'd have these huge thunderstorms. And in my mind, I thought those were my parents coming to check up on me. So I'd like, <laughs> I don't know why I did that, but that's one of the things that I thought of. And then recently, I have a God sister. My parents chose godparents for me who had um, adopted their child from the same adoption agency. So I sort of had to go that way to find out what my adoption agency was. And then when I, f I looked, Googled it online, and it turned out to be established in like 1818. And it was originally called the New Haven Orphan Asylum. <laughs> and there, there's this campus with these big brick walls and everything. And it just, it started this whole other identity. Now I'm like this gothic tragic figure in my mind you know like but that's how you can transmute like my identity can shift depending on what the details are and each new item is is really not really relevant I'm still my affectations are my mother's you know my father's temper it's all there I am my parents child immutably but that identity question which is so fascinating I had freedom, and you weren't given a choice until you discovered what that was. And I wanted to ask you about that. Like, did you feel that it was sort of betraying your parents to question it so much? Well, I would, be, I would begin by saying I found out accidentally, right? Like, I wasn't, I wasn't going in search of... I think that there's something here and I'm going to go find it. I recreationally took a DNA test because my husband was taking one. So it began with sort of this accident. I could so easily have spent my whole life never knowing. I had a couple of moments where I felt that I was betraying my father. And one was when I met my biological father. Um, I felt almost like... All my, my father died when I was 23. And all my life, um, I have carried him with me. I feel his presence. Um, you know, an irony, because for the, for the people who were thinking that I was saying nature is all that matters, my mother was someone who I did not feel close to. And she is my biological parent. I checked. I, <laughs> I made an elderly cousin actually go do a DNA test because I was so baffled, like, trying to piece it all together. Uh, but she was, and my father, who was not, as it turns out, my biological parent, is the person who was most formative of me, who I had a profound kind of soul connection with, and I would feel his presence. And when I first found out that he hadn't been my biological father, I briefly lost it. And I think I lost it because, of course, it's coming from me, and that chain had somehow been broken. You lost him I again, lost him, no yes. I had lost him again. I was grieving him again, and I was wondering what he had known and all of that. So when I met my biological father, I had this feeling of, you know, we have magical thinking about the people who um, have passed, who we love, and I think many of us do. And my magical thinking was that my father could see what was going on in my life, because when he died, I was a mess. You know, it was a complete, total mess. And he, that's his last, you know, that would have been his last kind of memory or knowledge of me. And then I grew up and I kind of made something of myself and I had, had this idea that he could see that. But if he could see that, 
then he could also see everything else. You can't like have magical thinking in one way. So I was like, he could see that. Then he can also see that I'm marching into this restaurant in Teenack, Teenack, New Jersey and meeting the man who was the sperm donor, like the secret, the thing that he never wanted anyone to ever know. So I, like, there was that. And then the, and the other piece, I was upstairs signing books and there's a picture of my dad and me. It's a joyous, beautiful father-daughter picture. And the young father in that picture, if he could have, you know, talk about collapsing time, right? If he could have imagined a future where that picture would be on the cover of a best-selling, best you know, book and his, his thing that he held as so private and secret would be in the world. I've thought about this a lot because some people make these discoveries and their parents are still living. Um, I thought a lot about what that would be if my parents were still living. I know one thing, there would be no book. I wouldn't have written this book with my father living. Um, and my mother maybe, because I, was, I tended to be more willing to throw her under the bus. <laughs> I just did, I did. Um, because our, our lives together were so, um, yeah. But I wanna, I wanna go, I wanna- okay, Before you do, I just wanna say something. When you said that upstairs, what I thought was, before I even cracked her book, my first thought was how much you looked like your father in that picture. That's exactly what my read was, which is so funny because that's just your joy and your glee and the connection that you have with him. So I just wanted to say And that. that's it, though. And that's, you know, I mean, I, I now feel like I'm, I come from three people. You know, not many people can say that particular thing, right? And, and, and I think that I wonder if that's true for you as well. You come from, you come from four people. And I sometimes think, you know, even if I could find the, my mother, I probably couldn't find my father. Right. I've made up so many stories about what their deal was. Right. It's almost like, like adoption porn you come up with. Like, I have 21st birthday, I came slinking downstairs waiting to find out that, you know, like my trust fund that was supposed to be there, I just like <laughs> sat at breakfast and I stared at my mom for a while and she's like, and I'm like, you know what she did? This is such a jerky move. So I said, well, I just wondered, you know, I'm, I'm 21. I thought maybe there'd be something that you would want to tell me. And she looked at me. She just sat back and she said, if there were, what would you do with it? And so, like, it prolonged. I'm like, it's just like a test, you know, but, like, there wasn't. So, so I, I want you to read a, a passage um, that particularly... Uh, I thought it was really powerful from your book um, about what we're talking about here. So I guess we're talking about my adoption. I never know how much importance to give it. Is it a minor detail in my biography or does it define me? When I look at old family photographs, do they really pertain to me? Are those my ancestors or am I playing at nostalgia? However much I wish to belong to any one person or group, that urge is almost always counteracted by an awareness of being different, as though there's a barrier around me, a thin as a layer of ice on an eyelash that prevents full integration. I keep people at arm's length and in their separate categories, even those with whom I have long-term committed relationships. I remember when my father sent me the original copy of my birth certificate for the purpose of gathering passport paperwork or because I'd lost my driver's license, I want to add yet again. Um, it arrived in a manila envelope. When I held the yellow document in my hands and looked at the time and date punched out on an old school typewriter, I burst into tears. I was it was overwhelming to touch the last artifact that connected me to a mother I never knew a young woman for whom whatever reason couldn't raise me. I saw a vulnerable infant changing hands and I wept for the agonizing decisions of everyone involved, for the snapshot of a fleeting moment of wholeness. Before I carried in my heart this broken piece of glass, which I've been careful not to disturb lest it cut me, I cried because I recognized a feeling I must have once had but could no longer summon, no matter how quietly I sat or how happy I was. It makes for great art, though, I'll say that. 
We'll be back in a moment. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I was thinking again of the collapsing of time as you read that. Everything about that was right there in that yellowed birth certificate. Tangibly. Yeah. I saw her. I saw her for a brief moment. The real her. The young woman. And I was a mother at that point, I should say. So it hit home very deeply. My, my family says that I held my son too closely when he was born, but I had this overwhelming need not to let him feel that separation, which I must have experienced because I was, I guess, two weeks old when I, they had me in the hospital, I guess, for two weeks. And for a newborn, as, as a mother, I can look back on that and think that's an unthinkably long time, you know, and so I just had <laughs> my son wherever I could put him. I couldn't put him down. Yeah, I, th- I think early motherhood and motherhood, parenthood perhaps in general, makes you evaluate or compare. But you know that line about it makes for good art. I'm sure I had a happier life. I'm sure that this was like, this was someone who 
wasn't ready to. And there would have been, I'm sure it was a selfless thing, but the sacrifice would still be extreme. It would still be incredibly hard to give up a child. And she's out there somewhere knowing that I'm out there somewhere. And that's, that's a tough thing. Oh, that's really interesting, actually. I mean, so you think... That's one of the reasons I've never actually sought out my biological parent. One of them is just that I have enough to deal with at the holidays. I can't <laughs> handle anymore. <laughs> really. But um, just this, 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 like, it could be something she never told another person. And I was very aware of that reading your book, thinking about that from that point of view. And that's just a sense I had, you know? It's really probably not even 50-50 that she would want to have to own that. It's interesting, too, because as long as you don't search or, you know, have that desire, it remains a mystery. Better art. Yeah, yeah. well, and as long as it remains a mystery, um, there's, there's so much nuance and so much possibility. Even the trust fund. <laughs> <laughs> What well, would you, you do with it if you had it? <laughs> Those seconds were like... <laughs> um, but you, you said something really um, beautiful when we were talking on the phone yesterday um, about... You, you, you equated it to music. Do you remember what you said? It was about um, like one note versus a chord. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, there's, what was it in the context of? I'm trying to remember. It was in the context of knowledge. You know, like... If, like to, to know... I'm well, anytime there's right. an epiphany, anytime you get any kind of insight into whatever it is you're searching for, and I'm a big proponent of complexity. I think that as, uh, as a species, we need to come to terms with things being complex. I think we're really living in systems, overlapping and layering systems, and I don't think we think like that. I think we still think in binary terms, right, wrong, black, white, good, bad, all these kind of oversimplifications of what's really going on. And for me, when you gain some kind of insight on, on your identity, on the, take, for example, having empathy for my parents and what the adoption would have been for them and how fragile that sense of what if she leaves us, what if she doesn't like us, or what if we're doing the wrong thing, or what is her nature. But any kind of deeper insight it goes from being a fact to being a cord of knowledge. There's the low part of it. There's the middle part of it. There's the high, keening, yearning part of it. There's just a complex, deeper knowing, which I'm a junkie for. Like that, That's what I'm in the game for in anything I do in my life, is to have that expansion of a fact into a truth. Yeah. There's something right. Let me see if I can find it. Right at the very, very, very end of your book. You write, um, horror stories is music, not data. The haunting melodies I hear over and over again in my head. And I, I, I loved that, um, just that language of music, not data. Because what's data? I mean, data is just... Think of how often you live in data, though. We all do. We take... It's, it's the difference between knowing what it would be like to be stranded at sea and actually being stranded at sea, like a, a real truthful understanding. And no matter how much you try to have the understanding, and you think of yourself as a deep and thoughtful person, there's no substitute for actual knowing. And, and I think your book is such a beautiful portrait of the journey from data to knowing. And... Well, because data can be false, too. That's right? true. So, I mean, I spent my life creating narratives to make sense of what I thought I knew, like what I was trying to make sense of. My father was sad because. My mother was angry because. You know, we were the family system that we were you know, because, and I, and I would write about it. I mean, when I go back and I look at my earlier work, it's all there. Um, that those, you know, those, that struggle, I was, I was trying so hard to make sense of something that didn't make sense. And the way that we do that is we tell stories. 
that's how we, just human beings from the time that we were cave people scratching hieroglyphs on, you know, on, on, on cave walls, that's what, we, that's what we were doing. And um, that was my attempt and one of the sort of stunning things to me in, especially in the early months as I was trying to understand and sort of put, put things back together again was that I was, you know, like, was all that wrong? You know, and what I came to realize is it wasn't wrong. It just wasn't the whole truth. You know, it, it was a piece of the truth. It was true that my parents were unhappily married. It was true that they were older. It was true that I was their only child. It was true that they had conflicts in their religious beliefs, you know, with each other. Um, it, it, you know, it was true that I was this very fair blonde child that didn't look like, you know, she belonged. All, all these things were true, but they weren't the cord. They were data points. And, and I think to go back to like, if, you know, your friend's question, if, if you hadn't been adopted, would you have become an artist? Those are, um, you know, whatever those, whatever those pieces are, they are what create the obsession, create, you know, the, the searching, the, you know, the artist as you know, there's something that I can't figure out that I can't get to, and the only way that I can get to it is by following the line of words or by, you know, writing a song. Um, that is, that's that's the way that you know, and that's why I love the idea of a chord. Isn't that how we know, you know, whatever we think of as God? Isn't that how we know love? Isn't that how we know, like, it isn't data. It is. It's a chord. And we all have to write our way toward faith and belief in something that is intangible. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I love that. Yeah. And it becomes the path. It becomes, you know, the way through a lifetime, you know, a lifetime of, of making work, of making art. You know, I've, I've been thinking about one of the reasons why I have no idea what's next is because I don't ever want to imitate myself. I don't ever want, I want, I mean, I, I'm a seeker and I'm a, I'm a searcher. And I actually think, I do think for myself that these unanswered questions that I could not apprehend or touch is what made me an artist. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm glad that I had the capacity, the ability, the gift, whatever you want to call it, to be able to actually actualize it and do it. But that searching, not, I say to my students sometimes, you know, if you went outside right now and you just, you know, did man-on-the-street interviews with people and you go, you, sir, do you, do you ponder your internal life all the time? <laughs> Is this something that you think about? Do you lie awake at night and consider, you know, your, your you know, and, and a lot of people say, I, mean, I feel like it's a Woody Allen movie that I'm describing, but a lot of people would say, no, I just, you know, it's like those, that couple in the Woody Allen movie, the, you know, I'm just shallow and he's handsome and <laughs> we're good, whatever that... But it's not, not everybody actually walks around with the need to express in that way. I can't argue with that. <laughs> so, so let's go back to, I mean, you said it was the political climate and that makes sense to me. But why, why a memoir? Why not pour it into song? Well, hilariously, my manager is sitting right there and he was part of the impetus because he was... I was on tour with the Smashing Pumpkins, and this is during the 2015, 2016. It must have been 2016, I guess. I'm about to do your voice right in front of you right now. But um, Prince had just passed away. It was the day Prince died, and I was playing a show that night, and we were having a conversation about something else. But then it all became about Prince, and we had lost Bowie, and that had affected me very profoundly. And he goes, he's like, Liz, you know... <laughs> you don't know how much time you've got. You know, you, you could be gone tomorrow. You don't, you have no idea. And like, is this, is this, like, are you making the work that you would want to make if it's the last thing you ever did? And it stopped me because no, I thought I had like dozens of chances left. And it just completely changed my outlook. And I thought, I had better be making the work to the best of my ability that I would be okay leaving. But like, what did I have to say? 
what did I, what had I learned in my, you know, almost 50 years at that point? Like, what had I learned? What did I have to give back to my son, to other young women, and just to people in general? Like, did I have something to give? Did I have something that I could, you know, make the world a better place than you found it? And I didn't have much, but I had my own experience and my own insights, and I had the ability to go from a place where the public perceives me as higher, you know, like, oh, your life must be better, and to be able to just open it up and be like, nope, see, like exactly as pathetic as we all are. And I, I had the ability to do that, and I had the ability, thank God, from songwriting to turn it into a sort of a small, take those painful things like a grain of sand in an oyster, sorry to use a very tired metaphor, and make it into a beautiful jewel that people can read and say like, yeah, I felt that. Or, you know, there's one story about me going through a breakup and going, I, was, I felt like such a raw nerve. It was such a bad breakup. He'd had a baby with another woman behind my back. And I found out about it after the child was already born. And he'd been asking me to marry him. He'd wanted for us to become pregnant. And I was so, so devastated that going to Trader Joe's was like a huge outing for me. And it took like all my, and I felt like everyone was looking at, I felt like I had like a loser, like across my face, you know? And it was so hard pushing, I can still feel pushing that cart in there, having overdressed, you know what I mean? Like, so I had the ability to give that to people. And that's what I chose to do. That's what I felt like I wanted to do with the pain in my life was make it both funny, make it okay at the end, and just say like, it's all of us. You also do something really with the, those shards, you know, those, those toxic shards of you know, those memories of um, the people uh, that you felt that you had failed in one way or another of um, honoring, honoring them in a way, you know, like when, when you said that your manager said to you, if, if you know, if, 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 if you have limited amount of time left, what, what do you want to leave behind? It's almost like settling a, a debt. There's kind of an existential debt that feels like it's being settled here. Um, that has nothing to do with whether these people would ever read these portraits and go, or like, you know, I was, I was that person. Oh, I was that girl. It's, it's, um, a kind of, um, way of making something whole. Yeah, trying. Yeah. Trying to make something that can't quite be made whole, but it can be made beautiful is the way I looked yeah. at it. Yeah. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 